welcome to Panorama. I am your co-host, Dan Torres, and I am joined today with Sarah Robertson here with me. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Dan. So I am so excited today to have Donna Stern on the show with us. She is a registered nurse working at Bay State Franklin Medical Center in Greenfield, a regional director with the Massachusetts Nurses Association and co-chair of the bargaining unit at Bay State Franklin. Welcome, Donna. Uh, great. Uh, thank you both so much for, for having me on the show today. I have been a registered nurse going on, it's hard to believe, almost 17 years. I specialize in uh, working with people living with mental, mental illness and addiction. And I also am the senior co-chair of the bargaining unit at Bay State Franklin, and I am on the board of directors for the Massachusetts Nurses Association, which is our union. You are part of a public forum hosted by the Massachusetts Nurses Association um, to talk about um, your ongoing contract negotiations with Bay State Health. And um, you um, gave a presentation during that forum. Would you like to tell us a bit about what was said and what the purpose of the forum was? Sure. I've been part of several contract negotiations. This current one will be my fourth one. And over the last 10 to 14 years, we have developed strong relationships with our community members and partnerships, and we felt like it was time to bring together all the voices to the table to, one, talk about where we are with contract negotiations, uh, two, to talk about what it's been like uh, to be a healthcare worker and uh, the implications of COVID, not only at Bay State Franklin, but um, the healthcare system as a whole, and then to also just to discuss the implications of the closing of um, my mental health unit and the surrounding mental health units at Westfield and Noble Hospital and in Palmer Wing and what that actually means uh, with Bay States announcing their partnership with Kindred. So those were the three things that we discussed, and we felt that it was time to bring people up to date and to make sure that people understood what the next steps are going to be because anyone who's ever been involved with negotiations uh, with us and, and Bay State as a whole knows that those previous negotiations have been contentious and both sides are trying to avoid a repeat performance, but it's really up to Bay State to decide how they want these negotiations to go. Can you tell us a little bit about how working through the pandemic was like. And I'm specifically curious to know, you could take us back to what it, it was like back uh, in March 2020 when the pandemic was first taking hold. Well, I have to tell you, it really changed on a daily basis. Mm. I mean, we were not prepared, okay? Mm. I think everyone will try to tell you that hospitals are prepared and nationally we're, we were prepared we were not prepared, and we were not prepared because if you look at how healthcare has been managed and delivered, especially at the hospital level, things have been kept at a lean level. So when I mean lean level, I mean staffing has been kept at a lean level, supply chains have been kept at a lean level. That is a specific business model, and it's certainly not based on a firehouse model. Mm -hmm. So if you look at how firefighters work, they are prepared, and when a call is made, they are prepared. And the call was made, and we were not prepared. So we were not prepared in terms of policies and procedures. 
We were not prepared, and and partly that wasn't their fault because in in many ways this was a brand-new disease, and we didn't know what we were dealing with. So, So that part is true. However, we were not prepared in terms of staffing. We were not, I mean, we were better than most because we fought for specific staffing language. However, in general, most hospitals were not prepared because they they had minimum, literally minimum lean staffing. And then, of course, we weren't prepared in terms of of personal protective equipment. I was going to ask you about that. There were a lot of stories that were being published two years ago that said nurses and doctors did not have the masks or protective equipment needed to treat patients. And so that means you're exposed to the virus, you and your, your coworkers, right? That is correct. When I think about, and when I think about uh, what my co- co-workers and colleagues had to go through in the emergency room, intensive care unit, medical surgical floors, and partly there, it was because there was a national shortage of supplies that we as a country were not prepared. Um, and so what this meant was masks. So if you look at the highest level of protection that a healthcare worker can, can have in terms of they're wearing a, an actual physical mask. It's an N95. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go in and you work with a patient who is, is, has been diagnosed with COVID, that mask is supposed to be worn one time. Mm-hmm. You go in, so you don all the appropriate per, per, protective gear. So the mask, the shield, all of it, the, the gown, the gloves, those are supposed to be one and done. Mm-hmm. And what was happening, that people were reusing the same mask over and over and over again for hours at a time. And so this was happening across not only the state of Massachusetts, but this was happening nationally. And you would hear newscasts and news programming nationally, the shortage of PPE. So it took a while. And I have to say that in the executive level, I felt like they stayed compared to some other hospital systems, mm-hmm. being on the board of directors for the MA, and we have a 70% density of hospitals that are unionized across the state of Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. I have, I had access to information that was happening on a statewide level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bay State was doing better than most, but they still weren't doing great, if that makes any sense. Partly is because at, on a national level, we had been operating on this lean production model. And I think that's really important to emphasize that most people, you know, they look at their hospitals and they think, oh, that's my hospital. And, you know, that's my provider. And I'm just going to go in and get care. And there it is. But what most people don't realize is that most of these hospitals are no longer just a hospital. They have turned into mini corporations and they operate and function like corporations. Even with a nonprofit status, they're still operating like under a business model. And patients aren't patients, they're customers. And hospitals aren't just hospitals, it's part of a healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. And these these words, the words that I'm saying right now have mm-hmm. serious implications for healthcare delivery. And because that is a complete change in, in philosophy and, and delivery of care that has happened over the course of the last 40 or 50 years. Wow. And then you see it hit a mass critical level with a pandemic. You see how this model, you, you put a, a pandemic through this model, this business model, and you see winners and you see serious, serious losers. And 
we're still seeing the winners, which are are the healthcare or the hospital executives, big pharma, the insurance companies. Those are the winners. They've always been the winners. So despite even Bay State coming out and saying, you know, things have been really, really hard during COVID financially, these are lean times, they actually didn't lose money during the pandemic. And I think that's important for people to really understand. Right. I remember during um, Nicole's presentation, she said that Bay State lost something like 1.5 million in revenue, but had since received around 20 million in grants and loans from the federal government. Correct. And the thing that's really disheartening to people who continue to work and have worked for Bay State through some really horrific, horrific conditions. And also, I can't begin to even emphasize the PTSD that healthcare workers are experiencing in day in and day out, taking care of COVID patients, becoming the family surrogates, and then watching people die day in and day out. Right. And it, even if they got infected, they could have brought it back to their family and kids. Um, exactly. And, exactly. Bay, and Bay State refused to pay for housing for the nurses during the pandemic. All, all healthcare workers. Uh, I don't know about the doctors, but I know that everybody else, they, they did not give us give us uh, housing. I mean, that is a serious, serious implication. And, and my question is, you're getting all this money from the feds, but are you putting it back into the care of the people who are do- doing the care? And I would answer and say no. I had another question for you. Uh, do you remember how many people you knew that got sick during that time and how many have quit? working uh, at Bay State um, just in maybe the last couple of years, a year or two? I, I have to be honest with you. I yeah. have lost count. I will tell you that Dr. Kerouac was quoted saying there's 1,800 vacancies within the Bay State system. Okay. That's an enormous number of vacancies. I will tell you that minimum 40,000 healthcare workers have left the bedside or at, at any part of of delivery of care. So that could be wow. environmental service worker, food mm. service worker, because what what we're not talking about are all the other unsung heroes, mm. the environmental service workers who went in to COVID rooms, all the food service workers, mm. all the CNAs and, and, and the mental health counselors and the, the, the everybody else. I mean, I... I am blessed to, to have a protective voice. I'm mm. blessed to be unionized so I can come on the show and not worry about being fired for opening up my mouth. Mm. Mm-hmm. But there are a whole slew of other workers who gave up themselves to take care of our community and our surrounding communities, and they put their lives on the line as much as anybody else. I'm talking about a collective moral injury to, to, to workers. Well, we're talking with Donna Stern. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back after this break. We want to talk more about the healthcare workers, the nurses, all of the the workers that struggled to save us from the pandemic. So we'll, we'll be right back. Welcome to Panorama. We are back here with registered nurse Donna Stern at Bay State Franklin, and we are talking about what it's been like being a nurse throughout the pandemic and the ongoing contract negotiations that the Bay State nurses are currently engaged in with their parent company, Bay State Health. Um, So we were just talking, Donna, about 
the challenges of working through the pandemic and the risks, what kind of priorities have emerged from that in your contract negotiations that the pandemic kind of brought to light? Well, I think what nurses, what we're all talking about is where is the acknowledgement for the workers who have remained at the hospital? And believe me, we believe in recruitment. We absolutely, I want you to hear me say, I, I say this at 100% that I support recruitment. We need to bring in healthcare workers and we need to have incentives that make them want to apply at, at Bay State Franklin or any of the Bay State hospitals. So right now, Bay State's offering $13,000 sign-on bonuses, and those are for, I'm not talking about the doctors, I'm talking about all the other healthcare workers. However, we're talking about two years plus in a pandemic, and collectively, they gave the workers who've remained at the hospital maybe a twelve to $1,500 retention bonus. Where is the, the validation and the honoring of, of the work that we have done during the pandemic. The other difficult part is that because Bay State Franklin does not pay its nurses as well as the surrounding hospitals, so we're not getting paid as much as Cooley Dickinson or Bay State Springfield or Mercy, where is the incentive for nurses to come to want to work at our hospital or any surrounding hospital? And so we're getting paid less. And what's happening is nurses who say, look, if I'm going to keep working in these conditions, I want to get paid working in these conditions. And so a lot of times they turn and become a traveling nurse um, where they can make five to $7,000 a week. Mm-hmm. And they say, look, I, I still want to be a nurse. I'm not going to give up being a nurse, but I am sick and tired of not being paid what I'm worth while I'm working in very dangerous conditions. Mm-hmm. And that- so we, the fellow nurses who, who are full-time regular employees of Bay State, do not blame those nurses. However, we say to Bay State, do not, do not, not reimburse us for what we're worth. Mm-hmm. What is the difference and- between the pay of a local nurse and a traveling nurse generally? Well, if a nurse is making $5,000 a week, uh, that's more than I take home in a month. And you've okay? been working at Bay State for 17 years? 17 years. And, and can, yeah. you, can you just tell us, the, the listeners, what's the difference between a nurse and a traveling nurse? Sure, sure. That's a great question. So a traveler nurse, okay, is basically they'll go sign up with an agency that specializes in, in providing uh, healthcare, whether it's uh, most of the time they specialize. There are specific agencies that specialize in placing doctors, and there are agencies that specialize in placing nurses. And so you go work, you go call a travel agent. Let's just say I decide, hey, I think I want to become a travel nurse. I look up the different travel agencies, and they will say, hey, we can place you, let's say, um, at Maravista, which is the private for-profit hospital in, in Holyoke, that's a psychiatric hospital. We can place you there for 13 weeks, and that means your benefits are going to be covered, all of that. We're going to pay you anywhere between three and $7,000 a week. Not only that, but we're going to give you, and I forget what it is, on average, no less than $1,500 a week 
or, or, or a month towards a housing stipend. And for 13 weeks, you're going to go work there. And then at the end of that 13 weeks, they may say, hey, we want to keep, we want you to up, up again for another 13 weeks. Or they may decide, that same travel agency may decide, look, there's a need at UMass Memorial in Worcester. We'd like to place you there for 13 weeks. And what happens is that the hospital contracts out to these travel agencies, nurses, and they negotiate the contract. So the nurse is getting $5,000 a week. If the nurse is getting, on average, $5,000 a week, that doesn't include what the travel, the cut that the travel agency is getting. So you can imagine, in true, in, in true actuality, what the hospital is actually paying for one traveler. It's an enormous amount of money, enormous amount of money. And our question to Bay State or any of the surrounding hospitals is, if you're willing to pay that much a week for one nurse, why aren't you willing to invest in us who we have dedicated ourselves to this hospital? More importantly, we have dedicated ourselves to this community. And what does that actually mean? It means we know the patients that are coming in. We know our hospital. We know it inside and out. That affects your care. Let me give you an example. Because mental illness and addiction is a chronic disease, Mm -hmm. there is no cure, and oftentimes people have to come back to Mm -hmm. us. And that's very, very unfortunate, and that's, that's a whole separate conversation as to why people are coming back more and more to the emergency room because the community mental health system is failing. But I have people that I have literally, they have come back to, to the mental health unit probably six, seven, ten times during my career, and they know, they know us. Do you know what a difference that makes? You're in an acute psychiatric crisis. Mm-hmm. You are frightened. Your medications aren't working, or they made a med change, and, and it's not working, and you're having psychotic symptoms. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You're being treated in, in Greenfield, where you, where you live. You come to a unit, and you are surrounded by nurses who you, have, who you know, and they know you. You're a little less afraid at that point. And you know what a difference that makes? And guess what? Your family member can come and see you right. because you're getting services in your home community with people who know you. We read that Bay State has plans to close the mental health units in Greenfield, Palmer, and Westfield mm-hmm. and then create mm-hmm. a unit in Holyoke. What's the kind of impact that this is going to have on, on the community, on, on the patients? You know, the implications are, are I, it's going to have such an incredible ripple effect. But I, I think it's really important to understand what it is that they're actually opening. I want you to hear me say we absolutely need more psychiatric beds. But let's talk about how we do it. And let's talk about who we do it with. And let's talk about who is actually paying for it and how this this whole thing is going to be funded. Mm. Because I don't think people realize that what we have currently is a private nonprofit model. My unit at Bay State Franklin, we take everybody. We take you whether you have health insurance or not. Mm. We're not looking at your health insurance. We're not looking if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield or Harvard Pilgrim. We're not looking if you have Medicare, which is federally funded. And we're not looking at whether you have Medicaid, which is a combination of state funding and federal funding. And we're not looking at whether you have zero health insurance. 
you come to our emergency room, if we have beds and we can provide the care, we're going to take you. We also keep people for months at a time. On average, our length of stay is anywhere between three and seven days up to two weeks. That's the average. Most people fall on the average. But because the system is falling apart, mm. we keep people for months because there is no safe discharge plan for them. Because wow. we are non-profit, okay? Mm. So we provide care to people who are the most vulnerable and the most ignored. Mm-hmm. Now, Bay State says, guess what? We're going to open this brand new hospital. What they're not telling you is that they're not going to be the prime, and I say stakeholder because we're moving now from a nonprofit to a private for profit venture. That's really important to understand mm-hmm. because it wants to make money. So you're taking a for profit model and you're imposing that model on a population that is the most vulnerable and has the least amount of resources. Tell me how that's even ethical or even allowed. It is is shocking to me. However, we collectively have allowed this system to exist. So we're talking about a for-profit model. Bay State is not going to be the primary shareholder. What they're going to supply are the doctors, the providers. That's it. Kindred is going to be the primary owner of that hospital, and they are going to be running it. Mm -hmm. So if you decide after our unit closes to go work down at that hospital, you're not a Bay State employee. You're a Kindred employee. Mm -hmm. And you now move from a nonprofit to a for-profit facility. Mm -hmm. So how does the profit, how does a facility like this make money? It's insurance companies. So what are you going to go for first? Mm -hmm. You're going to go for private health insurance. You're going to go for commercial insurance. You're going to go for all the people who have Blue Cross Blue Shield. And oftentimes those folks are in more urban areas or they're east in the Boston area. So they say, oh, we're going to serve Western Mass. No, you're going to serve who has the best health insurance first. And you're going to take them wherever they're coming from because that's what to make the most money. And then if you don't have health insurance, God help you. And the way that you make money, you get people in and you get them out. What we're seeing right now, Maravista, which is in Holyoke, which is a for-profit private, what we're seeing is people there for a short amount of time being discharged before they're ready and coming back and showing up in our emergency room. And we ask, uh, you were just hospitalized. Can you tell us where where you were just hospitalized? Yeah, I was hospitalized at Maravista. And, well, what happened? Well, I wasn't ready to go, but they discharged me. So when you're talking about when parity laws went into effect, both on a federal and state level, when they said that mental health has to be treated the same, what they forgot to add is that insurance companies have to pay at the same rate. Right. So, look, I want to get mad at Bay State, but we've allowed this business model of healthcare to flourish, mm. and Bay State is doing and behaving the way we've allowed them to behave. And not just all of the hospitals in the state and nationally, we've allowed them to turn into businesses. And look, from a business standpoint, I'm going to take my nurse hat off and look at it from a purely business standpoint. Does it make sense to keep community mental health units open from a financial standpoint? And the answer is no. So how can you save your save, save face 
act like you're still giving back, but in the end, you're really, really wiping your hands clean mm. because that's exactly what you're doing. When you're closing all of these community mental health units, what you're basically saying, guess what? If you're from Franklin County and you come into Bay State Franklin and you're in an emergency acute psychiatric crisis, guess what? You're, I'm go, we're going to send you 45, 50 minutes away now for you to go get it. That's what basically you're saying. And you're doing it in the poorest county in Massachusetts. So right. people who already don't have resources, and that includes their family members, who right now get to see them if they're lucky enough to get transportation. We're talking from the Hill communities. Now you're saying, guess what? You're going to have, your family is now going to have to go 45, 50 minutes away to see you. And tell me how that works, because we keep asking them, what about transportation to and from Holyoke? Tell me how that works, because we're having a transportation crisis as it is. No one's been able to answer that question for me. And here's the other thing. Our patients are getting sicker, not just with their mental health, Mm. but with medical crisis. Mm. So right now, if you're on the mental health unit, and you have other issues in the medical world, we call those comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So you have diabetes, you have cardiovascular issues, you have kidney issues, you have neurological issues. Guess what? You get to be taken care of by a medical community because you're in a full-service hospital. Now we're shipping you out, out of your home community, and we're sending you to a freestanding for-profit hospital. By the way, that's not attached to any full-service medical hospital. So the people I work with sometimes have really serious medical crises. Mm-hmm. I, I call the code phone, either a rapid response or a code blue, and an entire medical team comes in less than a minute to take care of that patient. Wow. We got to take a break, but we'll be right back after this break. Uh, we're talking with bedside nurse Donna Stern here on Panorama, and we'll be right back. back on Panorama with uh, Bay State Franklin nurse Donna Stern talking about um, their ongoing negotiations with the company and um, the closure of the mental health units in Greenfield, Palmer, and Westfield. Um, Donna, I wanted to ask what Bay State's justifications have been so far for the closure of these mental health units if, as you said, it's going to be really detrimental to, to the communities that they serve. You know, I don't want to speak for Dr. Kerouac because I know he can speak (laughs) clearly for himself. Um, But what the rhetoric that we have been given is that this is going to be a gain in in, in hospital beds. And I think, again, this is a smoke and mirror game that, okay, it's going to be about 150 to 53 beds, something like that. Okay. What you need to understand is you're closing 70 adult beds. Okay. So you're not going to have a net gain of adult beds. So, again, we're talking about citizens of Massachusetts between the age of 18 and 64. What you will have an increase in, which is absolutely needed, you'll have an increase in pediatric beds and geriatric beds. You're also going to have what they call 30 DMH or Department of Mental Health beds. So the, the most critical or acute psychiatric patients who are being followed by DMH, who may need longer stay, you'll see an increase in those beds. But 
even with a 30-bed increase, it still will not take care of the numbers that we need. So even with the increase in some geriatric beds, some pediatric psych beds, you're still not going to resolve the problem of boarding in the emergency rooms, which we talked about before. Right. Actually, could you explain what that means, boarding in emergency rooms? And So boarding in the emergency room is be- being in there for longer than 24 hours. It could be from one day to, to two days. We've had geriatric patients and pediatric patients waiting days up, up until weeks waiting for a bed. Now, those are the extreme examples, but they absolutely happen. On average, I would say boarding includes anywhere between three and seven days waiting for a bed. I wanted to know a little bit more about creating a unit in Holyoke. What would that mean for patients, let's say in Franklin County, which you had mentioned earlier in our conversation about being one of the poorest regions? What if they don't have the ability to get to Holyoke in order to access the services? What happens then? Well, I think what you're looking at for somebody who, who the crisis team comes, they evaluate the patient, they decide that the patient needs inpatient uh, psychiatric care. Let's say that the Holyoke Hospital accepts them. So they will get transported down by ambulance, okay? The question is, how do they get home? Mm. And the question is, how do their family members see them if their family members have no means of transportation to that length? of time. We have people all the time whose local friends will pick up family members and bring them to the hospital if they mm. don't have the transportation. Mm. We virtually have no public transportation in Franklin County. Right. So it's really word of mouth or friends um, or another family member that will bring other family members to the hospital. And that is that can be quite a feat, especially if you're coming from hill communities, say like Cole Rain. Right. Um, I mean, it is really a big deal. I, you know, we take for granted our, our luxury of being able to have a car and drive, but it is it is a luxury. And so and, what does that mean? And, 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 and can I just add, there's another part yeah, of this, yeah. too, that you said, is if the person is released from, from the, the hospital in Holyoke and they don't have transportation to get them back home, do they just stay in Holyoke? Like they stay I on the streets been, of Holyoke? Like, I, your your question is the one I've been asking. How okay. do you how do you how are you going to transport people home? And my the kind of the 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 generic answer that I I've, I have been given by Bay State, and 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 maybe Bay State has come up with a brilliant transportation plan um, that they have yet to share with us. Um, I'm not aware of one, and I'm not aware of any legislative bill that's specifically targeting this unmet need and that is only going to get worse when we move patients down to Holyoke. Mm -hmm. And right now, Holyoke is becoming the mecca of private psychiatric beds because it will be Bay State, which is really kindred. Let me say that again. Remember, it's really going to be a kindred facility. Um, Then you have kindred. You have Mara Vista, and then there's a question of Holyoke opening up, Holyoke Hospital opening up their own private private for-profit venture. This is all going to be in Holyoke. The other thing that's really important to emphasize is this, because this is a for-profit business model, Base State, when they partnered with Kindred, they signed a no-compete clause. 
So that means that's the other reason why they're closing all the community psychiatric units is because they signed that no-compete clause. What I find fascinating, though, is that they managed to negotiate keeping the psychiatric unit open in Springfield, which is actually closest to the facility. They managed to keep that one open and excluding that one from the no-compete clause. But all the other ones that, that they put in the no-compete clause. So that's the other reason why they're closing all these units. They're not talking about that either. Yeah. As part of their business agreement, business model decision. That's interesting that they're keeping the, the Springfield one open. It reminds me of the, the conversations that happened uh, this uh, couple of weeks ago about the VA, VA <coughs> excuse me, the VA hospitals here yeah. in Leeds and that being that closing and the one in Springfield getting additional investments and then assuming that the VAs who live in maybe in rural areas or in Franklin County and further north will just have to travel and get their way to Springfield. I think people just don't understand transportation no. limitations. And especially, no. let's say, if you've had an injury and you're not in and accessibility is not uh, uh, prioritized in transportation, how are you supposed to access these services? And people don't realize that, yes, these this might be a older building that needs repairs, but there's an important reason to have it there because it, cre- it, it creates the ability for access. And if it means you have to create a new site, a smaller site that maybe works with the office in Springfield, I, I think um, that's maybe the, the future model is to get to, to refurbish what you can do out in Leeds. Um, not that the, anything has been decided about what they're doing in Leeds. This one that you're talking about seems like it's, it's in the works and it's, it's currently... Um, Oh, yeah. No, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. How how long has the um, Greenfield Mental Health Unit been slated for closure and what's the plan there and how will it affect your job? Well, okay. so to answer your first question, they announced in 2018 that they were going to do this. The problem was they picked a partner who uh, who the partner is called U.S. Health Fest and the Seattle Times did a unbelievable expose of a private for-profit psychiatric hospital and exposed all the dirty little secrets of U.S. health staff. And we got, I, we got a hold of the Seattle Times and their expose, and that there was no way that Bay State could ignore how U.S. health staff was operating. And so they made the decision to dissolve that partnership. But in no way, shape, or form, did they make the decision to dissolve the idea? And so they did more research and more research, and they they found a new partner, which is Kindred. And that's why it, it's taken so long. Plus, COVID added a, another another delay, right, because of, uh, you know, the supply chain, workers, all of these things that have real implications in terms of when you can open this up. However... With Kindred and with this partnership, they are absolutely moving forward. And they say that they will be ready to open it up in August of 2023. That is what we've been told. And what that means is that's the closure of my unit, the closure of Noble's unit. It's two units closing at Wayne. And because I have the, uh, the fortunate 
benefit of, of, of having a union, I'm not worried about me or my coworkers. We're going to be okay. I, that's not who I'm worried about. I am definitely worried about my patients. That is all I think about. I, I'll be fine. I, I, I'm a nurse. I, I can be retrained. I can go anywhere. I'm, I am a, 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 a very a flexible person. I'm not afraid. I can I can do a myriad of different things. Plus, I was a social worker for years, and I'm a trained social worker. Again, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about my patients. Mm. That is what keeps me up at night. That is what gives me nightmares. That is who I feel sick about, my patients. And I know that we have patients in, on my unit right now who have been with us. Because we're, we're now taking geriatric patients, we're taking all kinds of patients who otherwise would die. Mm. And that's what I'm worried about. Mm. And, and, I, and, you know, that's, that, is, that is what makes me so anxious. I, 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 I'm not worried about myself. I'm not, I'm not worried about me. I'm a blessed individual. I've been, you know, given so many gifts in my life. And I'm not worried about me or my coworkers. It is going to be horrible because we, we collectively as a unit and the workers that I work with are exceptional at what we do. Many of us have been working together for years. We specialize in this. This is what we do. Mm. And are you going to get the same level of care at this new hospital? I hardly doubt it. Mm. And, um, and so that's what I'm worried about. Well, we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back and talk more about the healthcare industry. We're talking to Bay State Franklin nurse Donna Stern, and we'll be right back. All right, um, so we are back here on Panorama with. Bay State Franklin nurse Donna Stern, and we are talking about the Bay State healthcare system and its decision to close the mental health units in Greenfield, Palmer, and Westfield. I wanted to ask you, Donna, about like the uh, kind of the broader implications of the privatization of the healthcare industry, like we're seeing here with this move to Kindred Healthcare in Holyoke taking over for all these community-based mental health units that are about to close. So, what is privatization doing to our healthcare industry? You know, as a country, we collectively made a decision probably 30, 40 years back to deregulate and to privatize, privatize, privatize. But I don't think it, it happened. Most of us didn't quite understand it. We weren't fully paying attention because most people are, are just trying to survive. But we decided that there really is no sacred cow anymore in this country. And that means, you know, anywhere from healthcare to education you see the privatization of these things. And privatization is money. And when, when you ask what the antidote is, we have to go back to public collective ownership. Public. And that also means the delivery of not only health care at, at, at a community level, that means how we pay for it. And, and look, I mean, it's probably not going to be per, a great surprise to anyone listening. I believe in single-payer health care. I don't believe that we should have all of these different models of insurance companies and making money off of people who, who off of people's health conditions. There is something inhumane and unethical about that. 
I just ahead. wanted to quickly add, in that conversation, I mean, the, the current model is trying to make money off individuals with mental health um, um, struggles in their lives. And, yeah. and, and, you know, how do you do that without, with still giving proper care? Like you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. in, in a previous mm-hmm. segment, um, you're worried about your patients. Being discharged yeah. too soon. Being discharged yeah. too soon or not having the transportation back home and just being left out and then coming back. It's actually going to be more costly potentially, but it's going to be distributed to other institutions of society. That's correct. And if you also look at how does a for-profit make money, what's the number one expense for any business? And, and we're talking hospitals, right, because they're a business. As much as we don't want to say they're a business, they're a business. What's the number one expenditure for any business? It's labor. So what got U.S. Health Best, that for-profit model in trouble, is that they skimped on their staffing and they skimped on their resources. So what we're really talking about is quality of care. Mm. We're talking about quality of care. Oh, and I was going to say, I remember during um, the public forum that you guys... Um, said that Bay State seems to be investing more in technology and expansion mm-hmm. than they are investing in their um, employees. So what, That's what, correct. Yeah, what, what kind of impact is that having? Really what it means is that you, you don't have, like, nur- let me give you an example. Nursing used to be an art. Like, you would have nurses that would stay at, at that hospital, any hospital, on average, like 20 to 30 years, okay? And that means... They really knew their practice, and they really knew how to provide high-quality care. When you have a new nurse that comes in and the whole focus is uh, spending 50% of your time on a computer away from the patient, and not only that, but then you don't give the nurse the proper staffing, and I'm just using nursing as an example. I mean, we, you can expand this out to any healthcare discipline. Then what happens? Let's see. I went to nursing school to take care of a patient. I come out, and I'm now spending at least 50% of my time clicking. Click, 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 click. I'm away from my patient. And guess what? I've got so much to do with little resources and not enough staff to help me. And guess what? My patient is sicker and more acute and more complicated than they've ever been. But guess what? I'm in a fancy new building. Uh, The patient has a fancy new bed with a flat screen TV. And guess what? The entryway to the hospital had a water fountain and beautiful plants. I guarantee that the patient doesn't give one iota about the water fountain. They care about six times that they have rung that bell for the call bell for the nurse. Mm. And the nurse is so overwhelmed that that person is sitting in their own bodily fluid for hours because the nurse doesn't have enough time. Mm. I guarantee the patient doesn't care about the flat screen TV. So I I want to leave us off with um, one last question of what, I know you said you'd like to see single payer healthcare, but what would you, what do you see as a remedy to this direction that healthcare is going and in the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. In in Massachusetts. Well, I actually think, I know this sounds really, my parents are like Donna, you know, come down to reality, take the Pollyanna glasses off. Um, I still (laughs) think 
I know. They're like, they're so funny. They're like, Donna, come on, come on. Well, if, 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 right before you... Like, Right before you answered that, I will say that, you know, the voters here in Massachusetts could have voted to force the companies to hire more nurses, if I remember this ballot question correctly. Yes. And I know that could be a whole nother episode, and I know yeah, we got to wrap up, but... That's they, the answer. Yeah, but if you could just tie that into what's going on with the state of Massachusetts and healthcare. Sorry. Okay, so to sum it up, the people have the money. Again, it's the big three, healthcare executives, big pharma the big insurance companies. They are collectively like the Bermuda Triangle, and they have interests with each other. So they're going to, and not only that, but they are one of the largest lobbyist groups, and they have the most money. So in terms of the, 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 the greatest influence, in terms of a legislative and a policy level, it's the big three. Mm. So when you ask me, how do you contain the big three? There's only one way to contain it. You have to flip the model. You have to flip it. You've got to take the power away from them. Mm. You have to because, because they can't manage it. And, and, we're not, I mean, and, and again, why would I expect them to behave differently if I've given them the keys to say, oh, go, go take as much as you want? Mm. Uh, you know, I'm angry at you for doing it, but guess what? I've given you the key to go do it. So... We have to turn our energy towards how do we take it back? How do we take back public ownership over our hospitals, over the health insurance companies, and over big pharma? Mm -hmm. And I think I, I don't have all the answers. I mean, I, I hardly have any of the answers because, honestly, I feel like I need to go back to school and get an MBA. And I'm being serious because mm -hmm. the, the kids that are coming out of Eisenberg are being trained in this model. Mm -hmm. So how do them to think differently if they're coming out and this is what they're being trained to do. And then we get mad at them when they go do it. The, the thing is they control the narrative. you got to mm -hmm. remember, if they control the money, mm -hmm. and I hate to say this, they mm -hmm. control the politicians, mm -hmm. then, they control, then they control the narrative. Mm -hmm. And they, right now, they are brilliant. And they are brilliant. And, and, and again, I like I want to get mad at Dr. Kerouac, but he's doing exactly what we've allowed him to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when we say we're, Dr. Kerouac, we're saying the CEO of Bay State Health. Yeah, yeah there we yeah. go. <laughs> because, because when good. you take him out of that role, if yeah. you just take him out, I mean, I've met him. He yeah. is he, away from, from, if you take that cap off, off of him and you have a one-to-one -one discussion with him, he's a, he's a fine individual. Mm -hmm. He was an, he was a, a medical doctor. He's a trained medical doctor. He he at one point took care of patients in his life, and then he became the CEO. And he is doing exactly what we've allowed him to do. We mm -hmm. literally give him the script and said, "Here you go, go be a CEO in a a healthcare business model industry." And he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. They all are doing exactly what what they're supposed to do. We have to decide if what they're doing is okay. We'll leave it there. All right. And we have been speaking with Donna Stern, a um, nurse at Bay State and Franklin, about the healthcare industry and what is going on in the Bay State healthcare system. Thank you so much, Donna, for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both so very much for this opportunity.